Morning everyone, my name's Rachel. Uh, we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I'll just pray. As... Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can come before you freely and that we can hear from you. Uh, Father, would you please be working in our hearts and our minds uh, to change us from your word. Amen. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those, not, those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. That's a really loaded question. Meaning of life? Yeah. Meaning of life? Yeah, I yeah. have really no idea. This is tricky. Hmm. Call me off guard here. One minute, keep. I mean, a lot of things in life, but if I want to go religion or spiritual. Meaning of life to me would probably be happiness, most important. Happiness, to have happiness. Be happy. The pursuit of happiness. Passion. You live for, you live for your passion. Connection. Uh, relationships and um, empowering your dreams, living out your dreams. Смысл жизни, думаю, что в жизни, в жизни самой. Meaning of life doesn't mean anything. The meaning of life to reproduce, to enjoy every second that we are here in this world, because that's all we have. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Paul, and I'm um, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be. Uh, we're going to be looking at God's Word, so it'd be great if you keep that passage that we had read from Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be thinking about the question which Andrew's raised for us, uh, that video threw around a little bit, is what is the meaning of life? Um, so I'm going to pray, because I don't want you to hear my words this morning, I want you to hear what God's answer is to the meaning of life. So please uh, join with me as I pray. Father, we do thank you for your Word, we thank you for the opportunity to, to hear it now and listen to it. I pray that it would shape our hearts and minds and lives to see where meaning is found. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Well, what is the meaning of life? It's a, it's a big question, isn't it? Uh, Leo, Leo Tolstoy, maybe some of you have read some of his things. I know I was speaking to someone here at church a, few, a little while back. He, he was reading through War and Peace, great Russian author. 
Uh, he, uh, regarded by many as like one of the best writers of all time, uh, he was leading a successful life, and by the time he was 50, he came to realize, though, that every loved one of his would be taken from him. All that he'd ever written, all that he'd ever achieved, would one day be forgotten. And so, at the age of 50, he came to this conclusion. This is what he said, up on the screen. He said, the question was, why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Tolstoy had it all. He had fame, success. He had a family. He had 14 children in his family, a life full of relationships, a wealth of experiences. But his life came crashing down when he realized death would rob him of all of it. So what's the point then? What's the meaning of life? Maybe closer to home, what's the meaning of your life? Where do you find your meaning? Is Tolstoy right? You know, are we, we, we born, we live, we die, and that's it. Well, this, this question of the meaning of life is exactly the question the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, was wrestling through. He wrote the book wrestling through this question of where, do you, where is meaning found? And King Solomon, much like Tolstoy, probably a grander scale, had it all. He had a huge family. He was king over a nation. His house was adorned with gold. He, he was living it up. But still, did you catch it in our reading? In verse 3 there, he asked this question. What do people gain from all their labours at which they toil under the sun? Even King Solomon, who had it all, was asking, what is there to be gained in life? Where can meaning be found? And so this morning, we're going to look at King Solomon's reflections and wisdom, and we're going to, we're going to see two, uh, two observations of life, and then we're going to also see two keys to unlocking the meaning of life. So it'd be great, as I said before, to keep it open. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes, not just that first section, but a, a little bit throughout it. So let's, let's think about what's the first observation of life that we'll see. The first observation is that every day just feels like the one before. That's what we read in that op- opening poem, didn't we? Like we see, what, what does it say in verse 4 there? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains. The sun rises and the sun sets. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round, ever returning on its course. And then in verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Do you catch the drift of what this is saying? It's like every day is just going around in these cycles. It's just like the day before. You know, we, we wake up, we eat, we work, we sleep, and then we hit repeat. Each day it can seem like that, can't it? We go to work, you know, maybe on the same train, sit at the same desk, eat the same food, we go home, we go to sleep, and then we do it all again. And I think after a little while, maybe, of living this out, we can even become numb to the reality of this cycle. A little while ago, when I was about 13, I um, broke my arm, and uh, it was my left arm, so I I had it in a cast for like six weeks, and uh, finally went back to the doctor to, to get the cast off, and I realized... Like, he's taking it off, there's dead skin peeling off everywhere. And um, my arm was, like, much skinnier than it was, like, before the cast. Maybe some of you are thinking, Paul, I don't know how your arms could get any skinnier. 
<laughs> but it was, all right, it, it really was skinnier. Um, but you see, my arm had started to waste away. And like, I, I, I was completely numb to that reality, wasn't I? I, didn't, I wasn't aware that it was wasting away while the cast was on. And that's, that's what our lives can be like. You know, we can become numb to this reality that's the same. We travel to work on autopilot, maybe eat our lunch like zombies, type away at our desk like robots. I wonder, you know, even in the language I'm describing it, do you catch, like it's kind of a dehumanizing language of zombies and robots, autopilot. There's something very dehumanizing about what we're doing. Doing the same thing day after day. I wonder, have you felt this reality of just going through the motions, the monotonousness of life? You know, trying to find meaning in this, but you haven't been able to grasp it. Well, that's the first observation Solomon wants to say. He says, every day feels like the one before. The second observation he says of life is that every day feels like actually you're not getting anywhere, you're not gaining anything. In uh, Greek mythology, there's the story of Sisyphus. You might have heard of him. He's, he, he was condemned by the gods to every day roll a stone up the top of a hill and then the stone would roll back down and then he'd just do it all over again. Same thing, day after day after day. The idea is that, you know, if you keep doing the same thing day after day, it becomes a bit futile. You're not getting anywhere. You're not gaining anything. There's no point to it. And so King Solomon, like we said before, he, he goes to search, goes to great lengths to see where gain can be found in life, what he can hold on to, what he can grasp. That's like the rest of Ecclesiastes is written about that. So like we see, he, the first thing he, he searches for to try and gain is wisdom and knowledge. Have a look at verse 17, that'll be up on the screen. This is, this is, his, this is his conclusion as he's looking for wisdom and knowledge and understanding. He says, I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and madness and folly, but I learned that this too was a chasing after the wind. You see, Solomon hits the books, you know, he, he wants to become wise, he wants understanding, he wants knowledge. But, you know, he realises that there's no roof on that. He can't read enough books to gain knowledge. It's just that ever, he, can't, he can't grasp all the knowledge in the world. It's, he's ever pursuing it, but he's never getting it. So then he applies himself, so he gives up on, on wisdom and knowledge, and so he applies himself to pleasure, to living it up. I'm just going to live it up, enjoy you know, he had so much, so he's just going to enjoy it. So, but what is his conclusion there? Like, even 2 verse 10, it's, it tells about his pursuit. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. But then, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had taught to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained. You see, even in his chasing after pleasure and experiences, he realized... You know, the, the experience and the pleasure is awesome in the moment, but then it's gone. He can't hold on to it. He can't grasp it. So he gives up on, on pleasure, and so he applies himself to his work. Have a look at his conclusion of work, though, up on the screen. In 2.18, it says, I hated all the things I had told for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Solomon works hard, but then he realizes there's, there's no point to it. He's going to accumulate all this stuff, but then he'll die and he'll have to hand it on to someone else. Even that, he doesn't gain. And this is, 
This is the reality for us, isn't it? The Bible is saying, if we're trying to gain something in this life, it's pointless. It's a chasing after the wind. We're never going to be able to get there. You know, every day we might set out to gain, but it'll be a chasing after the wind. It's a, it'll be elusive. You know, think about even a simple little goal that you might have tried to achieve, maybe a New Year's resolution for this year. It's 1st of September, so a good opportunity to reflect, you know, how you're going at that. You know, we, we might have set ourselves a goal to gain something this year, but I wonder, if, for many of us, we, might, we haven't achieved it, have we? By the end of February, we've probably already given up on it. We, you know, haven't gained that new skill or hobby or kept at that exercise routine. And that's what life can feel like. Feel like, actually, we're not getting anywhere. We're not gaining anything. I wonder, do you, do you actually feel this reality? The reality of maybe you, you apply yourself to your studies or to your work. You work hard. But actually, there's no roof on it. I know for, for myself, you know, each week I get hundreds of articles and things that come across my desk full of knowledge and wisdom of how to do my job. But I can't consume it all. It's too much. It's too overwhelming. I can't grasp all this and hold on to it. Maybe even in our work, what happens when, yeah, like we're, 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 doing, we're progressing, we're doing really well, we're achieving, we're grasping, but then what happens when the point comes when our skills are no longer needed? It's gone, isn't it? The gain that we thought we had. Or maybe we, so we, we seek pleasure and experience. You know, we live from one holiday to the next. We love it. But they're only good in the moment, aren't they? It's, the experience is only good when we're in it, and then it's gone. Maybe even for some of us over the last three weeks, we might have been enjoying Wellington on a plate, living it up, eating as many burgers as possible. I wonder, what, what have you gained from that? Maybe a few kilos, maybe a few kilos on the waistline. But not much more than that, is it? The, the burger was good in that moment. But you have to wait until next year to eat them all again. We're kind of living out this reality of Sisyphus. Each day, pushing this stone up a hill, trying to gain, trying to grasp something, but then it just rolls back down. So these are the two observations of life that Solomon says. Every day feels like the one before, and every day feels like we're actually not gaining or getting anything. So there's the, there's the two observations of life. Where can meaning be found then? Well, Ecclesiastes doesn't leave us there. Solomon, at the end of his book, brings us two conclusions. And, and the first one is, if you flick over to chapter 12, or it'll be on the screen, I think. The first one, he says, is we're to know God. The first key to unlocking the meaning of life is we're to know and trust God. Have a look at this verse on the screen. It says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. So he's, he's sought all this stuff. He's sought pleasure. He's sought work. He's, he's tried to grasp wisdom. But this is the conclusion. We're to fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. Do you see what he's saying? The most crucial key to the many of life is to know God. To know the God who is behind life. He isn't one that, that is a chasing after the wind. He is one that we can know and trust and rely on. Even the beginning of chapter 12 says, remember your creator. He is the one who made us, who made life. 
and wants us to, to love and trust Him. He made us for that. He wants us to listen to His Word and obey Him. See, as human beings, we have, we have two choices before us. The first choice is that we're just in this impersonal universe, full of impersonal atoms, and we're all just a bunch of atoms, and the events in our life just happen day after day. That's all they are, events. You can try to impose meaning on these events, but they're, they're really just meaningless, random events. Or the second choice is that there's a loving, warm, personal God who made you and who is behind the universe. And He wants you to know Him and love Him and trust Him. You see, living in relationship with God is who we were made to be. That's the the first key to unlocking the meaning of life. It's to know and trust God. The second key kind of flows on from that, and it makes the the rest of Ecclesiastes unlock. If we know and trust God, the second key is that we can enjoy each moment as a gift from God. Take a look at chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. I think it'll be on the screen again, but or you could flick there. I'm loving hearing the flicking. That's great. Looking in your your Bibles. Um, This is like in the midst of him searching. This is what he says in 12 to 13. He says... I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Do you catch it? Do you catch the key? The key is we need to reframe how we view life. There is joy to be had in life, in each moment, enjoying it just for what it is, a gift from God. You see, life is not about chasing gain, about trying to hold on to those moments, but it's about receiving them with joy as a gift from God. I, I love to run, and uh, a few weeks back I was running up around Aotea Lagoon out near Porua, and it's just this concrete track around this nice little lagoon, uh, and I was doing laps around there, and I was going one way, and there were these two kids riding their bikes the opposite direction, And each lap, we'd pass each other, and they would just, like, cheer me on and give me high fives and encourage me to keep going. It was awesome, you know? Like, I'd speed up when I'd see them. And, um, like, this went on for 15 minutes. Uh, And, like, neither of us were getting anywhere or gaining anything, were we? We were just going round and round in circles. But we're enjoying the moment. Enjoying it as a gift from God. I wonder, what, what are some of the moments in your life, that are beautiful gifts every day that you might be thankful to God for. Maybe it's, you know, the the candy floss, pinky sunrise in the morning. There was one this morning. Have you ever seen that? It's a beautiful gift from God. Maybe it's just even the, the simple aroma of tea or coffee or hot chocolate. Maybe it is that that gift when you finish a task at work or at uni and you feel content and you're like, I've done well. That, that, that is a gift from God. Each of these simple pleasures and moments are a gift from God. Not something to hold on to, but they're a beautiful gift. I read an article this week about the benefits of gratitude. Uh, and this article was written by a, by a secular author. But, but he states this. Have a look at this, this quote. He says, that grateful living 
comes from awareness that every moment is a given moment. Every moment is worthy of gratitude. This article speaks about like the whole health benefits of even living a life full of gratitude. You know, this is what our culture says, doesn't it? They say, live it up, enjoy the moment. But if we trust and know God, we're in a far better place. Because we know the one who we, to be thankful for each gift too. We know the one who has given us these beautiful gifts and moments. So if you, if you love and trust and you know God, are you thankful? Are you enjoying those moments and gifts that he gives you? You know, maybe even in the mundane and the hard times of life, God continually gives us good gifts. Maybe something you could do later today, this afternoon, just sit down with a blank piece of paper and write up a list of things that you are thankful to God for, the many gifts that he gives you. Maybe let me start it off for you. Here's three that you could just write. The first one could be that you've got air in your lungs. Secondly, that you have food in your stomach and that you have water to drink. Simple gifts. Maybe not so simple, air in your lungs, not a simple gift, is it? That's, that's life. But I'm pretty sure you'd quickly fill up that page of gifts to thank God for. If you did this, this would reframe how you viewed your life. Your life would be shaped by joy. Shaped by joy because you know the God who gives you these good gifts. See, this is the second key. There's great joy to be had in life because we know the God to be thankful for. We know the God who gives every good gift. You see, life is not about gain, but it's about receiving each moment as a gift. And you see, God is a good gift giver. And the best gift, the best gift he could give us wasn't just these temporary moments of joy, but it actually was his son, Jesus. The best gift God could give us was himself. You see, God loves us enough that he sent Jesus into the world so that we could know him and be in relationship with him. Jesus came into the world to die for us, to die for us for the the constant rebellion and turning our back on him or just even ignoring his existence. And in Jesus, actually, we can gain. We can gain life. And not just life now, but life with him forever. You see, in in this life, the question of gain, it's the wrong question. But in Jesus, there's much to be gained. Much to be gained in this life and in the life to come. In Jesus, we can gain peace with God. We can call God Father, as Andrew, like already said this morning. We have a hope of a future that cannot be taken away because of Jesus. We can gain life to the full. So what's the meaning of your life? What's the meaning of life? Well, the meaning of life is to, be, to live life in relationship with God and enjoy His gifts. In a nutshell, you could say it's to love God and be thankful for His gifts. But the question is, what's the meaning of your life? Are you living in relationship with God, the one who gives you these good gifts? Or are you living a life without Him? You see, this life is not all there is. 
If we love God in this life, we can enjoy His gifts now, but we can enjoy Him and His gifts forever. One, one author paints the reality of a, of a life with no God like this. He says, if this, it's a long quote, so bear with me, if this life is all there is, and no life beyond this material world, then it will not ultimately matter whether you're a genocidal maniac or a do-gooder. Everything you do and everyone you have done things with and to will be gone forever. Ultimately, everything we do will be radically insignificant. I wonder, is that the life you want to live? A life without God. That's why Tolstoy didn't want to live anymore, didn't he? He came to that same conclusion, that life had no meaning. It's because he was missing that first key. He did not know God, the one who made him to love him. So is that the way you want to live life, without God? Or do you want to live life in relationship with God, the one who made you, who knows you, and who loves you? The one who gave you the best gift in his son Jesus. Maybe for for some of you sitting here this morning, uh, you want to find out more more just about Jesus, the the, the gift that Jesus offers. I'd say, as Andrew already said, I would invite you to come along to that Jesus is course. It's a great opportunity over a few weeks to just sit and ask questions and scratch or dig deeper into who Jesus is and his life. But maybe for some of you, maybe today is the day. Today is the day that you have realized what's been missing in your life. Maybe you've realized you want to have a relationship with God. You want to know and trust Him. Well, if that is you, I would love you to pray this prayer with me in just a moment. I want to pray a simple prayer, which is just, it'll just read something like this. It's just saying, thank you, God, for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that by his death, I can gain life forever with you. I'm sorry for living my life with my back to you for so long. I want to live every day from today, loving and trusting you. If that is something you want to pray, if you want to come to have that relationship with God and trust him, well, I would love you to pray along in your head. So I'm going to pray that now. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that by his death, I can gain life forever with you. I am sorry for living my life with my back to you for so long. I want to live every day from today, loving and trusting you. Amen. If, if you did pray that in your head for the first time today, then I want to say that is, that is awesome. That is something to celebrate. You've actually come to live the way you were created to live. And if, if you did pray that prayer, let me tell you, there's just one thing I would say is a good thing to do before you leave today, and that's to tell someone. Tell the, someone who you came with, come and tell me, I would love, like, we'd love to tell you, I guess, some of the best next steps of what it would look like to live a life with God.